welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Thank you, Dennis. And thank you, everybody else for being here, helping me stay sober one more day, because part of that gift of desperation is showing up for these, because any type of service that I can do, um, I need. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I need it to stay sober. I needed to stay connected to the power. I needed to stay connected to God because that's my purpose today is to be of service. And <clears throat> on page 14 of the big book, it tells me um, that I need to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life. It says, how appallingly true for the sexaholic, for if a sexaholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, and it says, <clears throat> through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And that is 100% my truth. <clears throat> if I let up on this program, um, I suffer. And so a little bit about what brought me in here and what created the gift of desperation in me, which I'm going to later share that part of that gift or gift of desperation helped me to turn my will and my life over to the care of another person first. Even though I came in with a very strong faith tradition, my faith tradition could not solve my sexaholism. It couldn't touch it. And I did a lot of praying, a lot of men's groups. I did a lot of everything I started in, boy, like at 12 years old, I started trying to be free from this disease. My earliest memories was I was probably about three. And what's amazing about three years old is children love to run um, out of joy or out of fear and trauma. And I remember that day carefully because I can remember every detail of that room. But <clears throat> what I can't remember is the shadowy figure that stood over me. I could, see, I know there's one there, but I can't see them. And when I ran out of that room, something was different inside of me. And I started as a little child, then experiencing the discomfort, the restless, irritable discontent that I couldn't explain. It was like a certain type of pain that I felt from that day forward. And that started my <clears throat> journey into finding ways to relieve that pain. And um, we had lots of pornography in the home and I was allowed to look at it. And unknowingly, when I looked at those pages, I was being relieved from that. My brothers would look at them, but they would go out and play, but I couldn't, or I didn't want to because they were giving me something very, very important. So I remembered about five coming in, and there was a grown woman laying in my little kid's bed and I, I, they were pretending to be asleep as the middle of the day. And I guess I came around the upper portion of her body was exposed. And I remember this, <gasps> I could feel this, whatever it was, I in, inhaled it. And man, I was, everything was good in that moment. 
all my pain was gone. My counselor asked me the other day, do you remember that moment? I can, I can detail every detail, the closets, the colors of the wall, everything. <clears throat> but that relieved the pain like none other. And I believe not knowing what was happening, not understanding any type of addiction, that started my process of using lust to um, relieve the pain. What, as, as time went on, the effect and the strength of those pages became just flat pages. There were, they had no more power. And I remember reading my first forum and um, it came in the mail. And when I read that first story, I had another deep breath. It was like, oh, man, that was powerful. So I savored those stories because only one book a month would come in. So I would read them slowly. I wouldn't just burn through them because every day I would use them to relieve the pain. Um, I started masturbating at about seven. So the two went well together. But fantasy was something different. It was way more powerful. But unfortunately, the seeds that were being planted in that time in that little fresh garden of a 10-year-old, I couldn't imagine what they were going to grow to. Um, By the time I was 12, I could feel the effects of sexaholism so strong, where it says the only way to be free of it was to do it. But I was becoming to become aware of it. Man, I don't have a choice on this anymore. Um, I did feel very inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. I felt lost. And I would look at how other kids acted, and I was the great mimicker. I was like a chameleon. I would act like this kid and act like that kid. There was no me. So I created this persona to try and look like I was, but inside I was a wreck. Well, at 12, I decided I'm not going to act out anymore And I, because I identified that other kids don't do this, and I thought everybody acted out. And I realized that, man, I was... I was in the minority big time, especially the type of acting out I was doing. And some of the things I would say in a group and myself, everybody would go oh, like, what? And then I would go, ah, just kidding. I learned to say just kidding because I realized my thinking was so different than everybody else's. So I was going to be like them. So I quit. <clears throat> First time I ever put a stake in and said, I'll never act out. I'll never look at magazines. I'll never read this stuff. And the pain started building. And by maybe three weeks, I acted out and I was devastated. Like, oh, my God, what does this mean? That was the first time I started coming to reality that, hey, I can't quit. Well, I'm not going to give you all the gory details. They don't matter. But the truth is my life catapulted. At 16, I heard that there was was, uh, discipline in the military. And I thought, well, that's got to be it. So I went in to the recruiter at 16 and they said, no, you have to be 17 to come in. So I told him, well, when I get 17, I'm coming back. And three days after my 17th birthday, with the sole purpose to find a way out from this disease, I went in through their doors and signed up. And I was in boot camp about two and a half, three weeks later. Um, I'll just, I want to cut the short story short because I think it's so important to hear the rest, but needless to say that my disease wasn't done with me yet. And I crossed all kinds of boundaries. I came home out of the military, met my wife, knew I would never be unfaithful. Um, winded up, remember the first time being unfaithful thinking, Oh my God, what did you just do? I acted out with a woman <clears throat> that I'd given a ride to because I used to hitchhike all the time. And man, I buried that. I thought that will never come to the light of day. I will never do this again. 
But what happened was when I went home that day, I had complete freedom from my disease like I'd never experienced. And I had like 15 days of no loss. No. And I thought, man, this is it. I'll never do that again. But what I didn't know and what helped me get to the gift of desperation was when that calling came back, that churning, that winding in my gut came back, it was 10 times worse than I'd ever experienced. I had no idea the storm that was coming back that was going to require me to go back into my disease like I'd never done. And with this great putting the stake in the ground, never to tell a soul, I went back out looking for another person on the street because that relieved so well. Well, 25 years later, after picking up people on the street, um, everything, I mean, massage parlors, prostitutes, I eventually, I'm not same-sex attracted, I eventually crossed the gender barrier. Um, I heard the other day I crossed the species barrier. I did that as a kid. Um, But And it was always to relieve the pain. I couldn't stop because if I stopped, I was in so much pain Um, and I hated it. I didn't want to do it. And we'd have our camper packed, ready to go camping with the wife and kids. And I'd come home from work early and I'm 10 minutes from my home, not thinking of anything. And all of a sudden, the thought of a prostitute would hit me or that the compulsion would be like, whoa, I'd be like, no, 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 please. I would beg God. I would do everything. Oh, please. But I couldn't make it home. I had to turn and go pick up a prostitute, come home, man, I'd be sad and depressed trying to put on the happy face. All right, let's go. After I just was devastated again. Well, needless to say, that went on for years until my last and final day. I was in a bad place. I had put another ad on. Some woman showed up and it was supposed to be touching, didn't it turn into unprotected sex? And uh, she was in my office and she said, Oh, you're with this organization? And I covered everything up. She saw a business card. I said, yeah, I am. She said, oh, my husband is too. His name is so-and-so. And that devastated me. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? First off, there's life going on outside my locked office. And I'm in this office with a prostitute. And I had along the way turned to drugs, alcohol, and pain pills to try and find relief which never worked. They worked at at 12, 13 for a little while. I was free from sexaholism, but then I was all of it. So I, after she left said, all right, I'll see you again sometime. I was coming back upstairs and I was going to put another ad on because I didn't even get 15 minutes of relief. The end stages of sexaholism, there is no relief. For me, there was not. And I couldn't stop. And I couldn't quite quench the, the, uh, the dying inside that I felt. So I went upstairs, I drank. I used drugs and I took several pain pills all at the same time. I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live anymore. I was just, I wanted to find a place of oblivion where there was no pain. So I called my pastor and said, Hey, cause he's always like, you got to be an elder bro. And you know, cause I've always loved God. And I'm like, oh, he has no idea. Nobody knows. I have this secret life. I've talked to pastors like that's natural to have that type of, and I'm like, no, you have no idea. So I called my pastor and I said, bro, I'm no good for anybody. He goes, what do you mean, Dennis? So I finally broke the dam and I shared everything. He goes, wow, go to this counselor tomorrow. So I did. And the counselor heard about 15 minutes of my story. And he goes, because I was talking about the drugs and this. And he goes, oh, my God, you're a sexaholic. And I said, yes, I am. I've always known that. I didn't even know what that was, but I knew. And he said, 
give this guy a call tomorrow. So I gave a guy a call. Now I was so broken. Um, the pain was so bad that I was willing to do anything because, and plus I didn't believe anything would work. Nothing. I ever talked to my pastors, my purity conferences, reading these books to balance my eyes, all that stuff. None of it worked. So I called this guy and he said, meet me at 6.30 a.m. And that was our 6.30 a.m. Wednesday morning meeting. I walk in, I start hearing the white book read, the problem. I'm like, oh my God, this, these people, this is me. They know me. I don't have to be an imposter anymore. The other people I talked to didn't know what it meant. These people get it. So I heard that says, get a sponsor. So that very first day when I was done with that, I didn't know what that meant, but I walked up to the guy that I called and said, can you be my sponsor? And he said, yes, I can. So we went out for three hours and he broke down what my next 90 days were going to look like. I'm going to slide out of bed every morning. To, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read these sections of the big book every day. I'm going to call two guys. I'm going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I'm going to do 90 days of abstinence with my wife <clears throat> with her permission. I can tell you, this is the gift of desperation is I never questioned one thing he said. I didn't go, well, why? Or how is that going to help? I was so broken at that point. I didn't care. If this is what he said to do, if he had told me, jump up and down on one leg 10 minutes a day, I'd have did it. I died because whatever they were saying penetrated my soul like none other. And I wanted what this man had because he shared his story. And I thought, oh my God, that's what I want. So for me, the gift of desperation, number one, was following all my sponsor's suggestions. And and I don't have to ask why. If I ask why, then I'm not following his suggestions. And I know I've been in it for like four or five years. And he asked me, he goes, he said something we were talking. He goes, are you still doing that? And I said, well, yeah. He goes, well, why are you still doing that? I said, because you didn't tell me not to. (laughs) You know, I because I'm not going to, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the depravity of doing things that honestly, I would walk out of a place and puke and promise God, God, I'll never do that again. And I'm promising God. So I figure I won't break my promise, which I've never kept a promise to God. A week later, I'd be driving back to the same place, stepping over the puke to go back in for more. So I did everything he asked me. And I remember early on, my wife said, I didn't have you before. And now you're doing 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, If you keep doing these 90 meetings, I'm going to divorce you. And I, man, that hit me because I don't want to divorce. And so I really, I had to pray about it, think about it. And I thought, well, if I stop doing them, I'm going to go back out. And I don't want that. And she's going to divorce me. If I keep doing them, she's going to divorce me. So either way, she's going to divorce me. So I'm going to just, so in Calcid, I said, hey, either way, you're going to divorce me. I'm going to the meetings. And I'm sorry, I, I, I'm doing this because I don't want to go back to that prisoner of war camp. I don't want to go back to that suffering. I don't want that. So you do what you have to do to take care of yourself. But I'm doing this program because I'd never found anything that worked. Um, let me check my time here. Um, so what I did was, is I started working the steps and Man, I just, I, I tell you, I fell in love with this big book because it gave, it gave me precise instructions to understand that, wait a minute. So you're saying that I didn't know what lust was for two, almost two years. I had no idea. I heard him talking about it. I thought lust was acting out. I didn't realize that the lust was the first thought that come into mind 
that that temptation is what I have to quit using. But I learned that my body, if I take even one, if I run one fantasy or look at one woman to take that drink, dude, my head's on a swivel. I can't stop. I'm running down aisles, coming back the other way to re-catch another drink. That's my experience is, is this stuff is so deadly for me. While I, it, while I haven't yet gone back out, if I think I can safely drink, I'm a dead man. I'm going back. And that's the danger of my mental obsession because my mental obsession, I don't forget the pain, but sometimes I forget how deadly the effects of lust are on me, which I've now learned through going through the book. I'll talk about this. It's not even about the lust. It's not about any of that. It's all about um, me going back into ego, me going back into self and disconnecting from God. That's the only place I'm truly in a place of neutrality, safe and protected. Um, So I thought that I understood step two very well. You know, oh, I already have a great faith tradition. But the truth is what I didn't realize is that I had lack of power. I had a lack of connection to the power. And I didn't, in the second step, and the we agnostics taught me that the power that I was using was the God of reasoning, capital R. That I, my willpower was trying to fight this, even though I was begging God to take it, God wasn't taking it. And um, what I found was, is that, I'll just say on day four, I just want to talk about surrender real quick instead of the big book. I, I think it's if there's people on here that are in that place. What I found is when I first started writing my first step out, I got to the place where I was molested and, and that same <gasps> big, big drink. I, I all of a sudden got hit with the compulsion that when I felt that before, and I hadn't felt it in four days, there's nothing that could stop me from going and picking up a prostitute, nothing, or putting an ad on. And I hit it and I'm like, oh, no, no. So I said the prayer my sponsor gave me, God, I am powerless and I need your power. Please lend me your power just for today. And man, I felt like a wind. I'd never felt this. I'd prayed a million times. And I just felt like relief come over me from that compulsion. And I said to myself, I don't ever have to do this again. And I prayed that prayer probably, I don't know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of times I prayed that prayer. Um, but it was keeping me sober, but sober is not well. I didn't know that I was staying sober. I started getting into service. Um, but I was still drinking in my thoughts, not a lot, but you know, every now and then I would just get kind of re I would relax and get comfortable, walk into a store and take a big old drink and feel the effects. Oh, so then I would start praying again, but I didn't realize And I didn't believe that that could ever go away, that a thought or a look would ever go away. I didn't believe it was possible. Um, But as I kept surrendering, if I, the moment the temptation would come, and I didn't know why the temptation would come, but the moment the temptation would come, I would go to God immediately. God, a hundred percent of the time would relieve me of that. If I paused, I've since learned, it's because I don't want him to relieve me of that. And my addict wants to take a drink. So if I'll just go to God, even if I really don't want to, it's that quiet dying upward that is is so powerful. Um, and immediately God's presence comes in. It, the comfort floods in. Um, I feel his joy. My thinking changes like, yeah, I really don't want this. 
And those temptations get further and further and further apart and begin weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's the obsession being broken. But I don't care how far they are. If all of a sudden I take a drink, the obsession, it starts going the other way. They get closer and closer again. And man, I really have to work my program. After I took my third step, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him, um, which I believed I had already done, but I had not. Making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God was just a decision. It's like making a decision to go to college and asking for my diploma the next day. Like, where is it? But the truth is, when I make that decision, the book, if I follow the book exactly on the bottom of page 63, it says next. And then on the next page, it says, though our decision was a vital and crucial step on the top of 64, which it was, I have to make that decision to rely upon God now, because as I go through these inventories, those inventories are all about going to God and letting God do those inventories for me, through me and with me. But I have to turn all of those inventories over to him because it said, though our decision was a vital and crucial step. And here, if this needs to be underlined, if it's not, it could have little permanent effect unless at once, like I make my decision to turn the third step. I got to at once go into my fourth step and work it like my life depends upon it. The gift of desperation again, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves, which had been blocking us. There you go. It ain't had nothing to do with lust. It says our lust was but a symptom. Those things that have been blocking us. I had a great relationship with God, but I couldn't connect to the power. I couldn't connect to the needed power to be free from my disease. I didn't know that. I could quote scripture, do everything I wanted, go to church, hit men's groups. Nothing worked because I had something that was blocking me. And the spiritual program of action steps four through nine, when going through completely surrendered, giving God everything, letting him take me through and show me this and show me that and having that relationship I'm practicing, being connected to that power. By time I get to the ninth step, uh, everything changes. I didn't realize how one little dinky, insignificant resentment will take me out of that connection. It will. It's deadly. I can't have a resentment. I have to pray for the person I'm resenting. Or if I'm thinking about something in the past, I got to, I have to realize, Ooh, I'm in the past again. I'm in resentment and self-pity or I'm in the future thinking about fearful things. I'm in fear and none of those things are relying upon God. I need to pray for those I'm resenting and go to God with my, a fear prayer inventory of prayers that I have. So that brings me back to the, the present. And that's where God is for me. But the, one of the most important things, and I know I've got seven minutes here, so I'm going to try and wrap this up the best I can. Once I work those inventories and do everything outlined as exactly as it is, I'm free. The blockers are gone. God is flowing. I'm connected. I feel new power flowing in. I have peace of mind. I am discovering that I can face life successfully. And I'm becoming conscious of God's presence. From that connection to that power, I feel peace and serenity. From that peace and serenity comes the gift of acceptance. Because God's running my life. However it's turning out, that's God's will from me. And I get to just accept it. Okay, God, I don't know what's going on. But man, I'm, I'm glad that you're with me through this. And 
I can't manufacture acceptance. It comes from being connected to the power. But this step 10 is so important because it tells me I have to continue for a lifetime. That's how long I'm going to do it to practice using these tools that I got from four through nine so that I don't allow these blockers to come back out. So it tells me continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when these crop up, not if, because they do. And why do I think this is my own experience is because I go back into self that we ask, here's the instructions. Okay. I got to ask God at once to remove them. I discuss them with someone immediately. I make amends quickly. If I've harmed anybody, then I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. Love and tolerances are my code. Here's the difference back on page 60. It tells me any life run on self-will can hardly be a success because it tells me in that state, I'm always in collision with something or someone. That's my life in self. Here it tells me on the next paragraph, and we cease fighting anything or anyone, even lust. I did a lot of surrendering for my first five, six years. First five years, I would say, um, had great moments of, of complete peace. But I was never free until I really started working this 10th step and the 11th step, the nightly in- inventory on the next side daily. And something connected me to a power in a way that it's just amazing. Now, does that mean I can't go back into self? No. But now when I go back into self, it's so obvious because one minute I'm in acceptance, I'm feeling peace and serenity, even getting the diagnosis of prostate cancer that is another story that went beautifully. I mean, if you could hear the ending story, the healing, everything and the results were God. But even in that moment, I'm like, Okay, God, you got this. Whatever that's going to turn out, I'm okay. And I can't just say that. I felt that and I trusted him. So when I go back into self, it's so obvious. That's what I recoil from as a hot flame because I'm like, oh, I'm starting to be manipulative here. I have fear. I'm starting to have resentments and I judge everybody. And it's like, man, If I stay in that and don't work these four little instructions, what happens is, because I have no lust, there's not temptations. I mean, every now and then the thought will come to my mind like, hmm, I wonder if, no. You know, it's like it doesn't have any power. It's like a little wisp of smoke. But if I get a little resentment or some fear that I hold on to, the next thing that happens after that is I'll have a temptation. And when I get a temptation, I was like, okay, what's going on in me? Who am I resenting, judging? Where's the critical spirit? What am I having in fear? Where am I not trusting God? Hey, I'm not in connection to the power. And if I ignore that temptation, man, lust is going to come next. It's going to give me this beautiful delusion or illusion of peace. I mean, it's the best thing ever. I know that's a lie. That'll take me back to the prisoner of war camp. It's not true, but it seems so real in the moment. Man, if I'm starting to be listening to that, it's it's beyond. Um, I'm already so dead. So thank God in six and a half, almost seven years, July 29, 2014, that I haven't gone past that. I've had some real close scrapes. I do not have a perfect sobriety i guarantee you there's times that i put a little penny on my little mag on my string that dave the string man gave me um when i have real close calls where the insanity was like whoa no that's what i want what am i doing in this program and i'll call somebody and say hey tell my 
try and can't get hold of my sponsor, call my sponsor. Hey, uh, just letting you know, man, I'm, I'm going, leaving the program. He's like, dude, did you go to God yet? Cause I've told them that a thousand times. I said, Oh, it didn't even cross my mind. So I pull over the minute I go into prayer. I'm like, Whoa, what am I doing? So I don't have any, um, and I know I got two minutes. I don't have any uh, delusions that I will be one day well from this pro- from this disease, that I am free, that I'm cured. And now I do live as though I'm cured when I'm connected to the power. That's 100% true. Uh, and, um, and it talks about the, my maintenance of my spiritual condition. See, I can't do anything about my spiritual condition, but I can certainly do my maintenance and to be fit to be of spiritual useful, to be of usefulness. Those are the things that I get to do that God can use me. So when I get an offer like to come here, man, it's not about me. It's not about what I know. I don't know nothing. It's about being connected to the power and following God. And when I do that, man, I get to be free. And I, and, and that's just the truth. And the way I get to be free is I follow the instructions in this big book and share those with other people so that they can be free too. And I can tell you my, I'll just say my success rate sponsoring is 2% maybe. So, I mean, I'm, if you want to go by that, I'm a horrible sponsor. So, but my success rate for, from sponsoring is I'm still sober. So that's a hundred percent so far. I don't know how long that'll last, but that's why I don't have to fear about that. I just get to get up every day and remember that gift of desperation is that I just get to get up, slide out of bed every day. I don't know how many years I've not done that. I get to spend time with people. I get to connect with God. Now I connect. I used to set my alarm at 1212. I'll stop my thing here. I used to set it at 1212 because every day because of the 12 and 12, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to pray at 1212 every day at noon. Every day my watch would go off and I wouldn't pray <laughs> every day. I mean, it just didn't work because it. it I can't like out of duty, pray by being connected to the power more of the day than not. What starts happening is, man, I just want to be with God now. I just, that's my place of rest. And I've learned that where do I, you know, there's this, I used to always as an addict be up here and like uh, super high, super high, or I drop into super low, just don't want to live, or I got to use massive drugs. Somewhere in the middle was that place I couldn't survive, which was called boring. Oh, I hated it. Now that's the place I find God. So if something excites me, I I can enjoy it, but I can't get too high about it. And if something's, you know, kind of could be a a, a drag or maybe some a door closing or some problems or pain, I I just can't get too low. I get to just stay in that middle place. and, And that's where I get to come and connect to God. And from that, the, the gift of sobriety and recovery is it, but I get God's greatest gift that I never had before in all those years of my faith tradition. I get him himself. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, everyone, for uh, hosting this beautiful conference. Uh, Dennis T. from Alaska, I uh, sent you some stuff in the chat. I, uh, I don't know how you did it, man. You're in Alaska, but you wound up in the library finding my autobiography somewhere up on the shelves. And it, uh, <laughs> my God almighty, I, I so identify with you. I thank you so much. Um, you know, uh, I too am a big, a big book fan. And, uh, 
And I thought about this the other day. I was seeing it. The other, I saw this the other day several times. It, I just, you know, I've seen it a million times, but now I saw it for the first, saw it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was, what is my real purpose in life today? What is my, I'm 78 years old. I've been in recovery from sex addiction now, surrendered with the relief of the obsession by the God of my conception for 20 months, 78 years old. But I'm telling you, I saw that my real purpose today, and you, I think, are living it, is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and to the people about me. You got 56 people on here. You did that today, Dennis. Thank you so much. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, Jimmy. To God thank be you, the Jimmy. Thanks, Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Thank you so much. Uh, is it Charles? Daniel. 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 Sorry about that. Yeah, Daniel. Um, Dennis. Outside Dennis. of your Dennis, house. Dennis. Yes. Sorry. That's okay, Steve. No problem. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit dense. Uh, no, you're not, but, uh, <laughs> you're just like <laughs> me, but I do that all the time. <laughs> but yeah, outside of your, outside of your sexual life, how is your love life? Well, that's a, <clears throat> that's a very good question. And, and I'm, it's better than it was. I've been married 37 years and my poor wife, Unfortunately, I, I left a loaded gun laying on the table when I left my uh, step one uh, story on there. And as a young SNN before programmed, she she couldn't but not read it. And uh, it, it it killed her. Um, yeah, it was just so sad. Um, now, if I even if I even hint, it's something she's like, Oh, that's not for me. That's for your sponsor. I don't want to know. I mean, she's really healthy now. She doesn't want to know that. I guess to be honest with you, I'm a love cripple still. Um, It's easy to love and be loved and to get to know people I don't know. Um, But those closest to me find it very difficult. I still suffer horribly bad. Um, but I'm getting better right now. In fact, yesterday, my, my counselor is taking me through some early childhood trauma. I never did it um, because I wasn't ready um, because anytime he would even touch on it, because I'd be like, well, I know what happened. Let's just do this. Every time he touched on it, man, I'd have to, oh, I got to get to a meeting because I'm going to lose my sobriety. So he's been very gentle with me. And what's so strange is he said, do you remember that room where I said, oh yeah, everything about it. And I could feel the lust inside me when I was standing there as a little child because I had fantasized about wishing. All I could, all I did was look then. But in that moment, I have fantasized um, I said a million times, wishing I could go back there. And he goes, well, what would you do if you go back there? I was like, this time I'd have sex, right? I'd, I'd finish it. And that's where uh, the, the trauma started. And he goes, well, if what we're going to work toward is you're going to go to that little child and hold his hand and walk him out of there to safety. And just when he said that, I don't know why, because I don't understand all the, I felt like the lust was gone. Like never in my life, if I, if I visualized that, did I not suffer from the lust of wanting to go back there and it was gone. So we got weeks and weeks of head. Um, 
I still suffer with my love life as far as, you know, my wife. And I think maybe part of it, have I, had I have a wife that never read my first step and doesn't know to the depth of my disease, you know, of course I believe, well, but I'm still a very sick man. And by the grace of God, I get to listen to her. If I you want to know that's I get to listen to her when she would share her pain and hurt. And my sponsor started me on that process was only saying, you can't respond. All you can say is, thank you for sharing. And when I would do that, we'd be going around the track and I'm thinking, oh my God, she hates that guy. She should just divorce him. You know, that's my, and then at the end, she'd be like, oh, I'd say, well, thank you for sharing. She was, well, you want to go get some coffee? And I'm like, what? That's crazy. So I, I, I'm not acting out. I'm connected to God. And I still have a lot of work to the point where I can let people in. I heard a story that Roy K said that, that you can't, it's hard to get to know me inside. Like if we were, I'd be very uncomfortable. So it's sad, but it's, it's God's healing me in that area. And I'll, I'm waiting on him. Love you, Dennis. Love you too, Steve. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. Uh, this is Marcus B. I have a question. Does anybody else okay, have their Okay. Thanks for your share, Dennis. Loved it, brother. Um, you know, you talked about having a very strong faith tradition background prior to coming into recovery. So if you're in a position, I have a few sponsees who are devoutly religious. They quote scripture every time we meet. <laughs> and uh, how, how would you, in step two, when we find the power, and we throw out the God of our misunderstanding. How is that journey for you? How would you explain that to someone, the religious higher power versus the spiritual higher power that we connect to in the program? Thanks. That's a good question. And I, and I do want to be gentle because I never want to go against anybody's faith tradition. But the truth is, and I said this the other day, you know, what is the atheist, the agnostic and the man with great faith tradition all have in common? None of them could connect to the power. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the truth. It doesn't, you know, my faith tradition. And, and it wasn't like I didn't believe there was a God. I knew there was ever since I was a child. I experienced it. I would come from a pretty um, strong faith tradition where they get going. Um, but the truth is that, and I've had it happen. I, I have had a guy in Bible college that was my sponsee. And once we go through that uh, step into action where we're actually, you know, who were your higher powers as a child? Well, my mom, my dad, and they start listing those out. What did they do? Well, they start listing out they, what they do. And well, what did that teach you about a higher power, not your higher power? They start listing those things out. And they can then start to see some of the the not the, the truths that that brought them to that they sort of attached that to god in a way you know this vengeful that um if i do well god will love me and if i go out and do this god's going to be like you know unhappy with me and so what i did in the fourth column is what do you choose to believe today and this is a guy that like i'm not anywhere near what this guy is because he went to i would call it bible college i really don't know what you call it and he did missions and went around the state and did all this stuff. So he could quote the book very well. 
but we would get to the fourth column and he would write something in there of what he chooses today to believe. And I think unknowingly he would put conditional statements in there. Like ifs, if like this, and then he would write like, you know, God won't uh, like God loves me, you know, but he'll have some conditional and I'll cross it out. I said, reread that. God loves me unconditionally. God's not going to punish me you know, if I blah, blah, blah. No. And so all these things started coming to where we're talking about a God of absolute love. And this man cried. I seen tears fall. I, I still am. I can cry finally, but not very well. Fell into his book in that little session. So I think it's important that if they are going to find a God that they can give everything to, you know, it says, God asked the man, are the keys to your, can I have the keys to your heart? And the man handed God the keys to his heart. And God said, are these all of them? And the man said, yes, Lord, all but one. And you need not worry about that one. And God handed him back the keys and said, if you can't trust me with all, then you don't trust me at all. And so somewhere I'm asking them, I want you to write a God that you could give that last key to. All of them. Because if I'm holding something back, then I'm in my mind, they can't, they can't connect to the power. But really what connects them to the power is that work of um, four through nine. That's just gold. It really is. And to do it where God is in control, all the prayer work, man, all the time. Like to me, it's like a date with me and God. Like I go out to a creek to do my four step. I got my coffee. I got a little chair. It's kind of streaming by and by myself. And I get into my step work. It's almost like, man, I'm going to go hang out with God. Not going to trudge through this work. Um, It was like a date. And so, yeah. Um, that's, you know, and I guess that's in God's hands too, but to help them see that, to get rid of any of the conditional stuff that, at least in my experience, I can't tell them what's right for them, but I can tell them what my experience is, is that, you know, for you to give all of you to this God, what are the traits this God would have to have? You know, number one, the God wants to be with me, wants to hang out with me, always, 24-7, that he will, he'll never forsake me, he'll never leave me. I may go through pain that he unconditionally loves me. God was with me every time I acted out with a prostitute or another person and loved me the same then as he loves me now when I'm not. I don't get more favor because now I'm sober. There's no difference. At least that's my higher power. Pass. And that's where sometimes faith tradition can hold people back, but that's, that's boy. I have to be, I get to be gentle with those guys because they start seeing that their faith tradition doesn't work for them. And that's what they have. That's the struggle they, they get to go through. And it's not because of a lack of faith. It's not because of a lack of trust in God. It's because of a lack of connection. That's really what it boils down to is it's in, how do I get connected to this power of this God that I love so much? Or that I need. Well, that's what this book does for us. Which will solve our problem. It doesn't say which will help me solve my problem. Right? 
So pass. Thank you, Dennis. So I'm going to chime in here. Dennis, great for recovering sexaholic. Uh, Dennis, thank you so much for uh, that share. Man, uh, I can relate to uh, so much of it, uh, as I'm sure so many other people uh, do, especially where, you know, going on uh, vacation and have that thought of going and visiting uh, visiting a prostitute and all of a sudden the day's gone. And uh, I've had those moments driving home from work, just wanting to get home, uh, you know, telling myself, go straight home, go straight home, go straight home. And uh, I start turning the wheel to the next brothel. And uh, man, that that really hit uh, hit hard for me. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, so my, my question, one of the things I did hear in your share was uh, about how the time required uh, into recovery and kind of getting a little bit of uh, kickback from your spouse. Uh, how does that play out in your, in your program today? Because I know that you do do a lot of service work mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, taking phone calls from sponsees, working steps. I know I get some kickback from my spouse. Do you have any guidance or anything? Yeah. I, that- yeah. yeah. That's to me very, very, um, like I don't answer my phone after 6 p.m. I just will not do it. People know you got to call. I'm I'm nobody's solution and I have no power. So there's a lot of people in SA you can call. I'm not the guy. And a lot of my sponsees learn early on, hey, will you be my sponsor? sponsor? Yeah. And then they think, man, this is a sick guy. <laughs> so they realize that, and I let them know that when my me and my wife's time is together, it's, that's it. Now, um, if I happen to notice a 911 text, me and my wife kind of give each other permission that, yeah, if it's a 911, it, you know, like, and I'll give an example. I had it. We were at a really important dinner and a guy, 911. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. And so you, I call, I step out of the restaurant and I got to step out, you know, which is, he goes, oh man, I acted out last night and again this morning. I'm like, what? Dude, a 911 is before you act out. Don't ever call me a 911 because you're in the middle of the the, the burning fire right now. I got to go. What am I going to do with that? If you call me before you're going to act out, dude, I'm going to, I'm, it's, it's, it's imminent. I'm going to act out. I'll step out of that restaurant every time and to, and help you and pray with you. But I think people learn too, that there are certain times that me and my wife have set aside. That's our time that I don't answer calls. If I'm on a walk with her, man, I, I, I turn my phone off. I, I disconnect from the world so that I can be with her. And so the other question about loving my wife, well, that's some of the ways that I do it is I'm fully present with her. Uh, And that's what I'm learning most about relationship and about that is to be present with her when I'm with her to not be. And and I'm telling you, this is, if I give you anything of all today, the drinking has to stop. That's the lust acting out, you know, sobriety days. Sobriety days doesn't matter. If I'm still drinking, I'm still drinking. Nobody can know maybe, but that's what's got to stop. That's And that's where just as much as I came into the program and said, I got to stop acting out. I have to accept the death of, I'm not going to through the power of God. Not, And I can't just like will it, like I'm not going to take that drink or not look there. I have to connect to the power. 
but the drinking has to stop. And when I'm with my wife, if one, I'm in talking just like a, a moment of something like, oh, you know, if I take that drink, I can't be with her. It's a complete disaster. There are no free drinks. There's pain and suffering. It just it upends our, our lives. So I quit taking the drink for me so I can stay connected to God first. But the result of that is that I get to be present with her. That's the ultimate goal. And uh, I was able to take my daughter to a, a, a water park. Hundreds, of, you know, we're in Alaska, you know, there are no water parks up here. So you go to a water park, there's bathing suits everywhere. I was able to go there for four or five hours and not take one drink. And that meant every time we're going up the, the stairs to the next water slide, I would pray. And, you know, I would be, um, because I knew that if I looked and took one drink, I would be drunk. I know me that I would be like, I, I couldn't stop. Then there's that creepy guy walking around the water park, looking at all the women. And my daughter would be like, dad, dad, dad. And I wouldn't even be able to, oh, yeah, what, what? Just give her a little bit. I oh, mean, no, I want to be with her. I want to be present with the people I'm with. Because I'm still a sick man. And one drink will do that to me. And I know that. So I don't fear it. I just stay connected to God. And, and if I find myself taking a drink, man, I immediately surrender. I go to God. I call somebody and tell them, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not doing well right now. But I'm just going to tell you this. If I'm to that point where I take a drink, I'm so far past ignoring some resentment or fear or some dishonesty. I have to, I have to work my program at that level before it cascades down to the other pass. Thank you, Dennis. All right. We'll go Hal C. And then uh, if we have time, we'll go to John T. We're going to look to finish up at, uh, 1157. I'd like to close this off. So go ahead, Hal. I'll keep it short. Hey, thank you. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Dennis, thank you so much, man, for sharing. Oh, you're muted. Hal, you're on mute, Hal. That was me, oh, Hal. thank you. Okay. Oh, <laughs> sorry. You said, yeah. I heard, thank you so much for sharing, and that was it. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, you've been, been a great part of my recovery. We got to meet last year at the uh, convention. That was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I like when you, you, you said something about 2%, like the sponsees, it's, it's, I, I said to you then, I, it felt as if, uh, I just have benefited from the work that you did with an individual. I won't say the name. He's no longer in the program. Only uh, about three or four months, uh, he was in well actually longer, but he worked with me about two months and he went, he's gone back out. But, uh, the big book, the way you were using the literature, 86, 88, all of this stuff, stuff on acceptance, 552. I just heard you talking about that the other day. It was, I, I just, um, it had an impact. I think I, there was a part of me that must have been drawn to it. But because what happened was I resented doing it, but I was doing what my sponsor told me to do, which was one of your sponsees. <laughs> and I ended up kind of memorizing that whole section I'm like, I didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't the intention now. So years later now, when I got sober, that stuff comes back to me. So yeah. it's not all for naught. It's not like I wasted time. And I, and if, if for uh, chronic slippers who might think, you know, I, I wasted a lot of time. Uh, I would, you know, coming to meetings, hear, hearing the, the message, even if I've acted out over and over and over, it's when I'm ready, 
you know, it's like the teacher is there when the student is ready, you know. Uh, yeah. You said something about um, the 911 call. I feel the same way with it. If, if I've had so many sponsors who want to, they say they want sobriety, they want to work the steps. And then I'm like, oh, call, let's do this, let's work through it. They can't. 30 minutes later, oh, I acted out. How did they act out? We're doing the last 30 minutes they've been texting me. Like, whatever. But I was that same person. And I'm not the power. I like what you said. I can only kind of point to it. I, I'm not the power. Um, justified resentment. This is my question to you. If you got a second. Uh, yeah, and this really isn't for me. Is there any such, is there a such thing as justified resentment? What's your take on it? No. No. All right. and, and, and I'll just make this short is because I can't separate from persons. Uh, resentment is unforgiveness. Now I can have boundaries to around toxic people that aren't well, but I get to love them or at least tolerate them because I will suffer. So answer is no. And one thing I was going to say about the 2%, that's people that I've taken all the way through that I really see that are working the program fully. I've taken 40 guys, at least from steps one through three, that they've had, as Jim's story said, he made a beginning. Yeah. To enlarge his spiritual life. So many of them, they work steps one, two, three. They do, I mean, their life starts coming back together and they let up. But they don't, anybody that's a chronic slipper or can't get it is usually at step four, is what I find. That's not absolute, but that's true. So I'll let John fill in here real quick and I'll try and get his thing. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, John T. John Sexaholic, how do you, Dennis, uh, 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 advise somebody as far as when they need to restart their sobriety count? Oh, that's that's a long one. Um, I'm just going to say real quick, I, I every sponsee is different. You know, if I get a sponsee that's a perfectionist that wants a perfect sobriety and they call it, oh, man, I just went on and looked at like some porn here, and but I didn't act out and I'm like, you know, I, I want to reset my sobriety. I'm like, eh. I, I don't want them to have a perfect sobriety. I don't want them to have any pride, any ego at all. Everybody's different. Me, it's about you had a lapse, not a relapse. And I'm not trying to, because the sobriety date doesn't matter. What I don't want them to do is go back and go, well, I lost my sobriety. I might as well go back full bore. And I don't want them to have any pride in their sobriety date. I want them to, um, hey, that, let's look at your program actually worked. You didn't act out, right? You called me. Yeah, mm-hmm. you went down the slope. That lets you know how deadly your disease is and how much, how powerless you are. I want them to see how powerless they are in every situation. Lift them up, tell them, hey, you're a good man. You're not a bad man getting good. You're a sick man getting well, but you're a good man. Let's just keep working this. Keep working your steps. So, yeah. Thank you. That's what it's about. It's about loving them through a horrible disease that I myself struggle with. And that's, but it's about staying connected to God is what my most important thing is. Then some sobriety date. I don't really care. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the daily reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.